We're going to continue in the, the Gospel of John. Um, <clears throat> today I want to talk to you about this advantage that we've been given. Jesus teaches in chapter 16 of John that we are giving an advantage. So the title of today's message is My Advantage. And it's not just mine as the pastor, but it's yours also as the believer that you have an advantage. So today I want to show you that we have an advantage now that Jesus has gone to be with the Father and has sent the Holy Spirit to us. So the disciples were struggling. Chapter 16, you can, you can literally see them struggling. They're grieving in chapter 16 because of the words that Jesus is, is sharing with them. He's telling them um, what's getting ready to happen in the next few hours and days and they're, they're having a hard time handling it. So their emotions are high. Jesus just said, I'm leaving. And they're not sure how to handle that. And so Jesus helps them. How many of you know Jesus is good to help us when, we, when we're emotional? Anybody ever get emotional? <laughs> Jesus is good to help you with your emotions. So the, the disciples were having a hard time with this idea that Jesus is leaving and that he's sending some help, but they don't know the help. They're not sure if the help is going to be as good as Jesus. All they've known is Jesus, and they've walked with him and, and communed with him and were in relationship with him for three and a half years now, every single day. In fact, it was so incredible when Jesus called them that they dropped their livelihood to go and be with Jesus. <clears throat> There's an interesting thought that I want to share with you today. If you'll go back with me to Genesis for a minute, in Genesis, when God created the earth and the heavens and the seas and all these things, he created Adam. And the Bible tells us that in the cool of the day, daily, God would manifest in the human form and he would go into the garden and he would walk and commune and talk and relate and hang out and chill with Adam. It was, it was, it's the, the perfect picture of what our relationship is intended to be with God. And so Adam, think about this, Adam on the daily knows that in the cool of the day, God's going to show up and we're going to hang out. The God who created me, the God who created everything that I'm standing on, that I'm seeing, that I'm breathing, that I'm experiencing, that same God who created me is now going to come and hang out with me in, in, his, in, in a perfect way. Like we can't even fathom what it's like to be in a relationship without an ounce of hindrance. But Adam knew that. Adam knew what it was like to be in a relationship with the creator, the father, and it was perfect until the fall. When Adam and Eve fell, what was perfect was no longer perfect. It was no longer perfect. It's interesting, isn't it? So since Adam fell... Mankind has not experienced that type of relationship with God until Jesus calls the 12 disciples to himself because Jesus is God. So from the time Adam fell to the time Jesus calls the 12 disciples, many men and women had experiences with God. They had some form of a relationship with God, but it wasn't like Adam had before the fall. Until the 12 were called. I don't know if you're catching this, but like when the 12 were called, they, that, that relationship was reinstated and they had that kind of a relationship with Jesus. So when they were called and they answered the call to follow Jesus, they were then given a right to be in relationship with God, the creator again. And now they knew what Adam knew in the garden before the fall. It's interesting, right? So it was, it was the most intimate, most special, the sweetest relationship they had ever known. Jesus was perfect 
I've never met a perfect person. <laughs> Nor have I been a perfect person. <laughs> Come on, somebody. They were in relationship with God. Like they, they pitched a tent and they camped out with God. They, they grilled fish together with God. They did ministry together with God. They cast out demons. They saw miracles with God for three and a half years consistently. And now all of a sudden, Jesus is coming up and saying, hey, I'm leaving. How do you think they felt? I'm leaving. So I want to talk to you about that today. In John chapter 15, verse 26 if you remember last week's message, we talked about how Jesus is the vine, we're the branches, God's the gardener, he's producing this fruit in us. And then we talked at the very end of the message, we talked about the environment that the fruit is supposed to be produced in, and it's an environment that hates you. And so Jesus just finishes telling the disciples at the end of chapter 15 how much the world's going to hate them. And then he says this, but I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth, he will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. So I want you to notice how Jesus is describing the Holy Spirit. First, he calls him an advocate. He's going to advocate for you. He's going to advocate for me. He's going to advocate for the kingdom. He's an advocate, which is a word that we don't always use. To further describe, Jesus said he is the spirit of truth. Come on, how many of you know we need a spirit of truth on the planet today? The Bible also, in other translations, calls him the helper, the comforter, the intercessor, the counselor, the strengthener, the standby, the encourager. So Jesus is saying, I'm going to send you some help, and this is what the help is going to look like. This is how you're going to experience this help. It's going to come in the form of strength. It's going to come in the form of encouragement. It's going to come in the form of counseling. Come on. So you got to notice how Jesus says this. First, he describes who he's sending. Then he describes where he's sending him from. And this is critical because Jesus is, has always up to this point told the disciples that I came from the Father. I came from the Father. The Father sent me. The Father and I are one. So this whole time, all the way through the Gospel of John, the whole time Jesus is with the disciples, he's reminding them that I came from the Father. Now notice when he's going to send some help he taglines where the help's going to come from. It's going to come from the Father. If you trusted me who came from the Father, then you can trust the help who's coming from the Father. Jesus is literally trying everything he can to help the disciples relax, understand, and be encouraged that him leaving is a good thing. But for them, it didn't feel so good. Chapter 16. He says this in verse 1 to 4. He says, I've told you these things so that you won't abandon your faith. That is a big sentence. Can I just say that? Why did Jesus go into mansplaining all this stuff to the disciples why? Why did he elaborate and go on and on about the world's going to hate you? They hated me. They're going to hate you. It's not going to be good for you. Like, ah. Why did he go on to explain? So that they would not abandon their faith. Which tells me that they were going to be tempted to abandon their faith. <laughs> like there's going to be opportunity to abandon your faith. If there was not going to be an opportunity to wreck your faith, then Jesus would not have to tell you. I'm telling you this so that you don't abandon your faith. For you will be expelled from the synagogues. You're going to get kicked out of church. And the time is coming when those who kill you. He didn't even say try. <laughs> He's like, and there's a time that's coming when those that are going to kill you. Like, wait, somebody's trying to kill me? <laughs> will think that they are doing a holy service for God. And this is because they have never known the Father or me. 
Yes, I'm telling you these things right now so that when they happen, you will remember my warning. I didn't tell you earlier because I was going to be with you for a while longer. Interesting. We should not be surprised at the schemes and the attacks of the enemy. We should not. That's foundational Christianity. I gave my life to Jesus. In other words, I traded teams. I was a friend of Satan. Now I'm a friend of Jesus. Come on, somebody. I was a child of Satan. Now I'm a child of God. So Jesus has been real clear about what's going to happen because he doesn't want them to abandon their faith. I want you to think about this for a minute. So Jesus goes to the cross. Jesus goes into the grave, whips the devil's tail, comes out, spends about 40 days with his disciples. Remember, he's walking through walls. It's really cool stuff. Like these guys really get to see the good stuff. Like Jesus just, boom, he just appears. You're like, what was that? And for 40 days, he hangs out with them, and then he ascends into heaven. They watch him go up into heaven. Remember, the angel was standing there like, what are you looking for? (laughs) And Jesus told him to go and wait in Jerusalem for this promise, this helper. From when Jesus ascended into heaven until the day of Pentecost was 10 days. There was 10 days where the disciples who had only known walking with Jesus intimately, he wasn't there anymore. And the Holy Spirit had not yet come. Do you think they needed to remember all that Jesus said so that they would not abandon their faith? And it's believed that in those 10 days, the religious leaders were seeking to destroy them, seeking to take them out. They were sending out people to arrest them and bring them into prison and sometimes even murder them in 10 days until the day of Pentecost comes. Come on, somebody. Whew. There's a reason there was 120 people jammed in a room praying. They was about to die. And Jesus said, I'm sending some help, and the help ain't come yet. Come on, what you going to do? You better get on your knees and pray. You better ask. You better remind him that you said you sending somebody. Where's the help? <laughs> help! <laughs> and even after the, the, the day of Pentecost, they would face some things that could affect their faith, their faith. You see, Jesus was actually talking about in verse 2 when he said, you will be expelled from the synagogues and the time is coming when those who will kill you will think they are doing a holy service for God. Jesus was actually talking about Saul, who once he got his tail whooped by Jesus, became Paul, the great apostle who wrote most of the New Testament. So the same guy who was persecuting the church and killing the church in the name of God runs into Jesus and is forever transformed and becomes one of the greatest apostles on the planet. And then Jesus goes on to explain why Paul did what he did. Why would Paul kill Christians in the name of God and then be corrected by Jesus when he's thrown off of his horse? Jesus tells us. Look at what he says. Because they have never known the Father or me. Write this down. There is a great gap between knowing about God and knowing God. There is a great gap between knowing about God and knowing God. You can go anywhere in South Louisiana and say something about God and somebody's going to say, oh, yeah, God, God, that's my man. God's my man. (laughs) I know God. Oh, yeah? Do you? Great gap between knowing about God and knowing God. You see, to know about God is to only know him intellectually. 
which means that somebody either told you or you read or you studied about God, and you can become a theologian about God but not ever really know God. There's a major difference because to know God is to go from intellect into experiential intimacy with him where you have intimate experiences with him, like hanging out with your wife and spending time with your wife and being intimate with your wife. You get to know each other, not just about each other. You knew about each other when you were trying to get her on a date. Like, what I know is she's fine. What I know is I like her. What I know is I want to be with her. But I know about her. I don't know her yet. (laughs) So there's a major difference between knowing about God and knowing God. And Jesus said that's what would cause a person to kill Christians in the name of God. So let's look at my advantage. Here's two questions for you. How could it be to our advantage that Jesus leaves? How could it be? How could it be to our advantage that Jesus leaves? How does that practically flesh out? Because it doesn't make sense to, especially the disciples. We're on, you got to remember the disciples were on that side of the cross. The cross hasn't happened yet. We're on this side of the cross in 2,000 years of history to back up everything that he said. So it's easier for us to understand when he says, I'm leaving and it's to your advantage. We get to see that it's historically that it's been to our advantage that Jesus left. But the disciples were on this side of the cross and he's telling them something that hasn't happened yet. And who, here's the second question, who could replace Jesus in my life? Verse 5, but now I'm going away to the one who sent me, (laughs) and not one of you is asking where I'm going. (laughs) Instead, you grieve because of what I told you, but in fact, it is best for your, it is to your advantage that I go away because if I don't, the advocate, the Holy Spirit won't come, and if I do go away, then I will send him to you. The disciples were distraught about Jesus leaving to the point that they didn't even think about where he was going. Check this out. Why is it that when something is taken from us or somebody leaves us, we automatically go into self-centered, I'm losing something, it's to my disadvantage mode. Why do we do that? You got some close friends that you've built a relationship with and they, they, God calls them to move away. You feel loss. And your initial thought is, golly, man, what about me? Like, I ain't got no friend. I finally get a friend. And God takes him away. Why do we automatically go to the negative side of someone leaving us and not even try to see the advantage of their departure or their absence? Could it be because we are self-centered? Could, we, could it be because it's all about me, myself, and I? Come on, somebody from the 90s. They were only thinking about what they were losing. They were not thinking about where Jesus was going. They weren't interested in, in how this was going to affect Jesus. They were only looking at how it was going to affect them. You see, there's a mindset when it comes to when, when someone or something leaves us that we automatically go, it's my disadvantage. And Jesus is trying to flip the script and say, no, it's not your disadvantage. It's actually better for you that I leave. But they're having a hard time understanding that. It's like Jesus is trying to communicate to them, I have reached my earthly limit in my purpose on the planet. I need to move on so that he can come and take this thing to the next place. He says these words, if I don't leave... The advocate won't come, which raises a bunch of questions in my mind. 
just as a Christian. Like, so you're telling me that the Holy Spirit and Jesus could not be on the planet at the same time? If that's the case, then boy, I need to learn a whole lot more about the Holy Spirit and Jesus. Interesting. If I don't go, he won't come. But if I go, he will come. And that will be your advantage. So it's a disadvantage that I stay, but an advantage that I go. Is this making sense? It was not part of the plan that Jesus and the Holy Spirit would stay on the planet. You see, if Jesus stays on the planet, the work on the cross doesn't come to completion. It is believed that when God raised Jesus from the the grave, it was God's approval that the pardon or the payment for sin was complete. It was paid in full. So when it was paid in full, God raised him from the grave. Then it's also believed that when God, when Jesus ascended into heaven and he sat at the right hand of the Father, that it was the Father saying to us that I am pleased with your sacrifice. It was more than enough. You did exactly what I wanted you to do with your time on the planet. So come take your seat right here next to me. Like Jesus staying on the planet is an incomplete work. He has to leave the planet and sit at the right hand of the Father. And the Holy Spirit needs to come. The Holy Spirit needs to come and lead the church. So Jesus was leaving, but his spirit is coming. And you have to understand that they're one and the same. They're one and the same. So let's look at three advantages we get. Because Jesus left, if I can say it that way. Or you could say it this way, three advantages because the Holy Spirit came. Whichever way you want to say it. I'm advantaged because Jesus left. I'm also advantaged because when he left, he sent the Holy Spirit. Number one, advantage number one is provision. Please. Open your mind to the fact that provision goes way beyond your finances and bread and clothing. It goes way beyond that. It's almost shameful that our our first thought when it comes to provision would be finances, which is an indication of how big finances are in our life. When I hear God is my provider, if I instantly think in dollar signs, then I'm, <laughs> you know who your God is now. <laughs> you know who's got you worried is your dollar sign. Watch it. Watch what he says. Verse eight. He says, and when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. Talking about the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of its sin, of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin, here he explains it. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. All sin comes from that sin. That is the mother of all sin. That you do not believe in Jesus. So the the Holy Spirit is going to come and he's going to convict the world of sin. Verse 10, righteousness is available because I go to the Father. And you will see me no more. Righteousness, in other words, right standing with God. Because I go to the Father. You see, I didn't just get saved and my name got written in the Lamb's Book of Life, which is incredible. But I also got a restored relationship with God the Father. Like Adam had. Oh, if we could ever wrap our heads around the fact that we've been invited into an Adam-God relationship.
Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. There was so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. <laughs> when the spirit of truth comes, there he goes, calling him by his name again. If this, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. You know when the future is? Next minute. Monday morning, clocking into work. 50 years from now, it's all the future. He will tell you about the future. Why will he tell you? Because you don't know. You don't know what tomorrow brings. But the Holy Spirit, who is your advantage, will provide some insight, some wisdom, some practicality, a word, and an anointing, a strength for tomorrow that you don't have right now. And Jesus was limited. He could be in Jerusalem, but he couldn't be in Eunice. But the Holy Spirit can be everywhere. That's an advantage. He will tell you about the future. Verse 14, he will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. Doesn't that sound familiar? Jesus this whole time has been telling the disciples, I only say what the father tells me. Whatever he tells me to say, I say. I'm not making anything up. Whatever he says, I say. Interesting. What would the church be like? If we only said what he said. For us older generation, it would be a nice and peaceful time. Social media would probably die. Praise the Lord. Come on, somebody. <laughs> like, ah, can y'all hear that? No, I can't hear it. That's what I'm talking about. You can't hear all the stuff that don't need to be said. All that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. So advantage number one is provision. The Holy Spirit is going to provide for us what we don't currently have. Wisdom, intelligence, favor, warning, teaching, truth. It's hard today to decipher between the lies and the watered-down truth and real truth. Let's just be honest. As a Christian, it's hard. You, you, can, you can go on social media and you can hear a lot of good things that have a slight bend on them that are as demonic as if it was the devil saying, you're going to die and go to hell. It's that wicked, but because it's been polished and, 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 and painted and, and it's got a slight bend to it, it's hard today to know the difference in truth, but we have an advantage the spirit of truth will lead us into all truth. He will provide truth for us. <clears throat> so the advocate is, advocate is telling us everything that Jesus wants us to know. He will only speak what he hears. He cannot work apart from Jesus because they are one. Like it won't happen. How do you know if somebody's got a weird spirit? If what they're telling you don't line up with this. So let me flip the script on you. Why is it important to know this? So that when somebody with a weird spirit that says something that sounds God-ish, you don't get persuaded by it. We don't have to be ignorant. Right? So the Holy Spirit will not tell you to do anything apart from what Jesus has already said. It's just not going to happen. So you can trust that what you get from the Holy Spirit is from Jesus. Is this making sense? So what the Holy Spirit is telling me is from Jesus. I have a responsibility to discern, is this the Holy Spirit or is this the pizza I ate last night? 
Come on, somebody. Lord woke me up at 3 o'clock in the morning. After I took my antacids, I got a word. Yeah, I know what your word was. Don't eat pizza again. So everything we need will be supplied by the Holy Spirit now. So provision. Remember, provision is bigger than your finances. Your finances are a part. When the Bible says, when the Bible calls God's names, it says he's Jehovah Jireh. He is my provider. God is way bigger than, than dollar bills and change. Come on, somebody. He'll provide you with health. He'll provide you with joy in the middle of a chaos. He'll provide you with comfort in the middle of pain. He'll provide you with the things that you can't get on your own. Like John said earlier, the world will offer you a lot of things, but it can't fulfill anything in your life. Only Jesus can. And he's going to provide that by the Holy Spirit. Advantage number two is that there's a potential for full joy. Potential. Keyword. You could potentially receive full joy. Why do you say potential, Pastor? Because there's a lot of believers who aren't full of joy. Like some believers can be the meanest people on the planet. It's embarrassing when people say, I got the Holy Ghost, but you mean. You mean. You sure it's the Holy Ghost and not the woe ghost? I mean, like, <laughs> potential for full joy. Look at verse 20. I tell you the truth. You will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve. Watch this. But your grief will suddenly, say suddenly, suddenly turn into wonderful joy. You're going to grieve when you see what they're about to do to me in the next couple of hours. And then they're going to haul me off. And then you're going to see me after they whip me. And you're going to see me hanging on the cross. And you're going to grieve. That's on a Friday. Come on, I'm going to do it. But Sundays are coming. <laughs> Come on. On Sunday, their grief was turned into joy. Important to note that Jesus didn't replace their grief with joy. He turned their grief into joy. Which means that he can turn what you're walking through into something better. Something life-giving. Then he describes it in an incredible way. It will be like a woman suffering the, labor, the pains of labor. Guys, this is hard for us to understand. When her child is born, her anguish gives way to joy because she has brought a new baby into the world. So you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Then you will rejoice. And no one... Come on. And no one will rob you of that joy. At that time, you won't need to ask me for anything. Uh-oh. I tell you the truth, you will ask the Father directly, and he will grant your request because you use my name. You haven't done this before. <laughs> like, you, you, you guys have only asked me. Like, your relationship with the Father has only been through me, but what's getting ready to change, and it's going to be painful, and you're going to want to grieve, but that's going to turn into joy. But you're not going to ask me anymore. You're going to ask the Father. Well, how can you go from asking Jesus to ask the Father unless Jesus hangs on a cross, pays for our sin, raises from the grave, and then we're restored into relationship with God now? So because of the cross and the grave and the resurrection, we go from asking Jesus for something to asking directly to the Father. I get to ask my daddy. I get to ask the Father. And then Jesus goes on, he says, and you can use my name. You can be a name dropper. Now, some people will use your name and not ask permission. Yeah, I'm, I'm here, I know so-and-so. Does so-and-so know you're using their name? Probably not. But Jesus says, you can use my name. 
Lord, I need healing. In Jesus' name. Lord, my kid needs deliverance. In Jesus' name. Lord, my finances need some help. (laughs) In Jesus' name. You haven't done this before. Ask using my name and you will receive and you will have abundant joy. Hmm. You see, Jesus is talking about the next few hours and days for them. You know, what's interesting is when you read past the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you get into Acts and Romans and First and Second Corinthians and Thessalonians and Timothy and Ephesians, Galatians, all those different uh, books in the Bible, those letters that, that Paul wrote the majority of, even First Peter, Second Peter, you start getting into those books, you don't read sorrow for the cross. Pay, pay attention when you read past the Gospels. What am I trying to say? They're not stuck in whining mode. Like their reciprocating story for their life is not what they lost. It's what they gained. They went from complaining about what they had, what they lost, their grieving. It suddenly turned into joy, and now they're experiencing the advantage of the Holy Spirit, and they're watching it work, and they forgot about the labor pains. They forgot about the loss. They forgot about the suffering that Jesus went through, and they were excited because the Holy Spirit inside of them was giving them truth that Jesus is alive. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father, and you got power to do what you can't normally do. I've got an advantage. They're not whining about the cross. They're not whining about the loss. Oh, they took Jesus from me 20 years later. They took Jesus from me. If they wouldn't have took Jesus from me. Their sorrow was replaced with full joy. I mean, listen, it got crazy. Two of them got arrested and beaten. They didn't come out of the jail cell complaining, taking pictures, posting, look what they did to me. They didn't come out complaining, they came out celebrating. Bro, I got whooped for Jesus. <laughs> I got beat up for Jesus. Boy, that's far cry different than what we hear today, right? Hashtag suffering for the Lord, picking up somebody's trash. Their grief was turned into full joy, and they were glad to suffer because suffering meant I'm like Jesus. My wounds prove that I'm rolling with Jesus because when you roll with Jesus, you get wounded. Come on, somebody. You take a couple licks in the process. You might get sucker punched when you're rolling with Jesus. You know what scares me today? And I'm scared to say this. I hadn't seen anybody get arrested in a while for serving Jesus. You can go to other countries and find some people who are legitimately suffering for Jesus. Could it be that we've compromised so much 
And could that compromise be while we're not walking in the joy that we potentially could be walking in? When's the last time students got kicked out of school for preaching Jesus in the, in the commons area? But you know, the law says, Pastor, you know, that it's, it's, it's not legal to do that. <laughs> okay. Get arrested for preaching Jesus. I'll come bail you out. Is that too hard? Ask anything using my name and you will receive and you will have abundant joy. Are you asking for your school? Are you asking for your work? Are you asking for the people in your neighborhood? Are you asking for your family? Are you asking God to do a great work in you? Are you asking for boldness and courage? Are you asking for tenacity? Are you asking for these things? Sure got quiet up in this church. You see, the joy comes from the realization of the relationship between us and God, which was accomplished by Jesus. Look at that last verse again. Ask using my name. He said, you, you haven't done this before. Ask using my name and you will receive. When you receive what you ask for, it's proof that you're in the relationship. That last song we sing, I have the authority. If we could rewrite, if we could re-see those words right now, it says this. That I have because I've asked and because I've asked and he answered, I have joy. Maybe that's why the Bible says that you have not because you ask not. And instead of asking for joy, what if you ask for something else that would create joy? Advantage number three. <laughs> hey, look at me. I felt the heaviness just walk all over the church. Like literally. And the enemy just took something I said and he twisted it. Some of you feel defeated because I said, when is the last time somebody's been arrested for Jesus? And you automatically got condemned. You don't have to be condemned by truth. You should be convicted by truth and encouraged by truth. So if that dark spirit came over you just now and you feel like, well, I'm just a sapsucker in the bottom of, a, of the bayou and it ain't worth nothing. Tell the devil to shut up. It's truth. I hadn't seen anybody get arrested for Jesus. Go get arrested for Jesus. I'll come bail you out. Doesn't mean you're a kuyong. It just means you've got power now and you've got an advantage to go into the world and take ground for the kingdom. Come on. We have to learn how to handle hard truth at times. The reality is, is one day we're all going to stand before Jesus and give an account for what we've done. I will give it an account for you. <laughs> I'm going to leave that alone. I'm not going there. And I'm glad to do it. So tell the devil to shut up. And I don't mean you have to physically get arrested. Let's go stir some stuff up. Come on, like before you got saved, you was a pot stirrer. Some of y'all. Like y'all could gossip better than anybody else. Y'all could spread false truths, stir the pot, make people pit them against each other. Y'all were ruthless. Okay, you got saved. Take that and use it to your advantage. It might be a gift. I'm going to stir up the kingdom at work this week. I'm going to stir up the kingdom at school this week. I'm going to start by stirring it up myself with God. Come on. All right, advantage number three, fuller knowledge. So advantage that we get because Jesus left and the Holy Spirit came 
is provision. He's going to provide us with every single thing we need. So you can stir up whatever you want to stir up. The Holy Spirit is going to provide for you. Advantage number two, we have the potential for full joy. Advantage number three, fuller knowledge. Look at what he says in verse 25. I have spoken these matters in figures of speech, but soon I will stop speaking figuratively and will tell you plainly all about the Father. Then you will ask in my name. How many times does he have to say that? You ever wonder? How many, I'm going to go back and, and count it up. How many times did he say, ask in my name between chapter 14 and 16? Probably into 17. Ask in my name, ask in my name, ask in my name, ask in my name. Then you will ask in my name. I'm not saying I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you dearly because you love me and believe that I came from God. Yes, I came from the Father into the world. Now I will leave the world and return back to the Father. What is Jesus saying? There's more that I have for you that you cannot contain right now, nor can I go everywhere that you go and give it to you. I have to leave so the spirit of truth can come and he will tell you all that you need to know. He will lead you into fuller knowledge of me and of the father. So what do I need to do, pastor? Just keep walking with the Holy Spirit. Keep walking with the Holy Spirit. Stay teachable. Come on. Stay teachable. None of us know it all. I'm sorry if that offends you. None of us know it all. I'm going to wrap it up with verse 33. Come on, Jen. Verse 33, I'm going to read it from the message translation. I want you to hear this. I told you all this. So that trusting me, you will be unshakable and assured, deeply at peace. Can I read that one more time? I have told you all this, all of that stuff we just went through. I've told you all this so that trusting in me, you could easily say, so by trusting in me, you will be unshakable and assured. Deeply at peace. Unshakable. Assured. Deeply at peace. Unshakable. Assured. Deeply at peace. Unshakable meaning I can walk through anything. Anything can surprise me. I'm unshakable. I might feel it. I might even say, ouch, that hurts. Hope you say that and not something else. But ouch, that hurts. I'm unshakable. I felt it. It hurt me. I could have cried. I could have groaned. Whatever it is. But I'm unshakable. Unshakable doesn't mean that you don't feel it. It means that when you feel it, you remain where you're planted. I'm unshakable, which means when my mama dies or my grandmother dies suddenly and I don't know what to do, it hurt, it impacted me, but I'm unshakable. My faith never left. I didn't run away from my faith. I didn't disconnect from the vine and just say, I'm done with all of this. I'm unshakable. I'm unshakable. I'm assured. I know who I belong to. I'm assured. I'm confident. Confidence and boldness and courage comes out of your assurance. I got invited to preach a funeral at the end of last week from Monday morning. And it was someone who had come to the church maybe once or twice, three times, whatever it was, and they wanted me to do the funeral at Quirks. And so Lisa set it all up for 10 o'clock Monday morning, and I had a full day. I had to be in Jennings for 12, and so I had to do a funeral, 
get in the car, go to Jennings, all staff meeting, come back, other things to do in the afternoon. So it was, it was a bit of an inconvenience, but that's part of the territory. And so, so I said, okay, I'll, I'll do it. And, and I'm just going to be honest with you. Like, I didn't expect much to happen at the funeral. I thought I was just going to go and just, you know, <laughs> go through the motions, do the funeral, be as genuine as possible and real and, and encourage the family, pray for them, and then walk out. And I'm thinking 15 minutes, I'll be done. I do fast weddings and fast funerals. So if you ask me, just know it's going to be fast. <laughs> I don't always do. <laughs> I do fast weddings, though. <laughs> I will stick by that. So, honestly, I didn't put much weight on it. Went the whole weekend, didn't prep. Now, keep in mind, I've got messages. I've got funeral messages set aside. I got, if you've been to more than one or two of the weddings I've performed, you go, yeah, this, that's his wedding message. Sorry. Every once in a while, I'll create, no, let me stop. I'm digging a deeper hole. So anyway, I wasn't ready. And, and, I, I, and so it's going to be a quirk. So I'm thinking 10, 15, 20 people. I, I totally underestimated what I was walking into. I come down the road. At 9 o'clock, the funeral's at 10. 9 o'clock, I'm writing my funeral message, getting the guy's name right, all this other stuff. I'm like, yeah, yeah, blah, blah, blah. 30 minutes to get dressed. Doesn't take long when you don't have hair. All this other stuff. I, I get leave 20 minutes to, to 10. I roll up to, to Quirks at about 5 or 10 till. And I went, oh, shoot. The parking lot was full. Ronnie's was full. The lawyer's office was full. There's people in the yard. I'm like, uh-oh. I'm not ready. I ain't even prayed up. Oh, dear God. So I park in Ronnie's and I throw my jacket on. I'm, I'm trying to catch up. I'm just being honest. Like I'm trying to catch up spiritually. Like I wasn't was ready for 10 people, not 100. I'm, just, I'm not ready. And I walk in, I find the lady, I, I, I greet her and hug her, talk a little bit. She goes, tells me her, her, her husband's story and all this. And, and then she says this, she goes, I wanted you to do this, this part because his family is, is really Catholic and they want to do a Catholic ceremony. So we're doing a Catholic ceremony later on, but I really wanted you to come and do a Christian. She, she described, made a difference and all this other stuff. I said, I said, okay. No problem. So out of the maybe roughly 100 people that are there, I'm, okay, it's a Catholic crowd. That's good to know. No, I mean, seriously, like you need to know who you're preaching to. And, and so I get my chance to preach and I stand up. And most, most times at a funeral or a wedding, just I'm like, I'm anxious. I just get anxious with the formalities of ministry. Like, you know, the minute you got to button up the top button, it's like anxiety comes with that. It's like, ugh. And so I usually get all wound up and anxious and I'm, I'm standing there. And, and, and my point is this, is that I was assured more than ever before in my life. I stood in front of all these people who really didn't want to do this ceremony. They wanted to do their ceremony. I grabbed my Bible put it up on that pulpit, I introduced myself, said a few nice words about the guy, and I went into the gospel. And every time I said something like, if you give your life to Jesus, you can spend eternity in heaven, I know I was going against a doctrine. That, that it, the overarching mindset of the crowd was that, that oh no, somebody got to pray you in. You got perfect. And all the things that go with Catholicism, I knew I was standing against that. But I stood there with assurance that what I was saying was true and that the God I belonged to was with me and the Holy Ghost was on me. And I preached Jesus and I preached repentance. And I said, if you don't give your life to Jesus, you will spend eternity in hell. It's true. It's true. It's true. And I said, now I want you to bow your heads. Close your eyes. I wasn't asking permission. This is a private moment. I just want to introduce you to Jesus today. They bowed their heads. They closed their eyes. They listened. 
I said, if you are not in a relationship with Jesus and you don't know where you'll spend eternity today, raise your hand right now. All over the room. 20, over 20, I counted roughly 20 people born again that day. I went. Inside, I grumbled about doing this funeral. I had a, Lisa, am I right? I had a negative attitude. I just cannot, I'm real, okay? Like, you do things you don't like to do. I do things I don't like to do. And, and I was just like, bah! I had a bad attitude. I wasn't ready. But I stood there. And you know what happened when I was done? My attitude was dealt with. The Lord reminded me that this is the second time you've gone into something unprepared and unready for me to move. I said, yes, sir. I won't do that again. I'm sorry. You're taking things too lightly. My friend Blaine is here. Wave your hand, Blaine. Y'all remember the story at the rodeo? The guy who got hooked by the bullet. It's not him. (laughs) Blaine was the one who invited me to go and pray over the rodeo. So I went. Now, I like rodeos. Y'all are going to really think bad about that. (laughs) I like rodeos because, like, it's wild. And it's, it's really masculine. And. And so I went and I prayed and all this great stuff. And you know the story, the guy gets hooked by a bull and I'm, I'm on the steps after I prayed and the rodeo started and I'm talking with the mayor Crowley and, and at the corner of my eye, I see this guy fly in the air. And I'm like, and he was in the pen with a bull who had some short horns and the bull ripped the back of his leg open. It nicked his artery. So he climbs out, he's walking back towards us and literally his pants from here down is solid red. His boot, blames my witness, his boot is filled with blood. They sit the guy on the steps. A woman sits down behind him. She grabbed a, a clean diaper. <laughs> it's important to note she grabbed a clean diaper. And she wrapped his leg in order to try to stop the bleeding. The ambulance couldn't get there. They were lost on the other side of the interstate. I'm getting furious because the ambulance won't come. I'd already walked down and laid my hands on the guy and just prayed, Lord, I pray you heal this man, Lord, sustain his life. He didn't even know I prayed for him. Blood and and color is falling out of his face. He's slumping back in this woman's lap. I'm like, this dude, I looked at the mayor, I said, throw him in my truck. I'll get him to the hospital faster. And and I'm sitting there and somebody wanted to talk to me and I'm talking to somebody else and, and all of a sudden the guy goes, is that the pastor? And they said, yeah, I said, and he just cries. I said, pastor, pray for me. I instantly went, well, I already did. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> and so I ran over and I said, Lord, I plead the blood of Jesus over this man. And I went at it. And all of a sudden, you're my witness. He sat up, blood and color came back into his face. He started telling jokes. He started clowning. He was picking on the girl who was holding his life up. And then finally the ambulance gets there. That's a Saturday. Sunday I preach. I go home. Blaine calls me. He says, there's a guy here who wants to talk to you. It was him. Hey, pastor. Man, you saved my life. I said, whoa. <laughs> Not me, bro. Not me. Jesus saved your life. Jesus saved your life. Man, when, when you prayed for me, I felt fight come back into my life. That's what he said, right? I felt the fight come back into my life. And I went, I was going to pray for the rodeo. Right. I was going to pray for the rodeo. I was just going to go do a funeral. Knock it out in 15 minutes and go on by my business. Why am I saying all this? We have to walk in assurance that I, I, you are God's representation on the planet. He is always waiting and willing and wanting to use you. You don't have to have pastor in front of your name to be used by God. Come on, somebody. I just get to go first tell you my stories. My stories encourage your actions. And then your actions become a story that encourages somebody else's story. 
assured, unshakable, assured, and deeply at peace. In this godless world, you will continue to experience difficulties, period, but. There's some good buts in the Bible. This is one of them. But take heart. I, Jesus, have conquered the world. I have the advantage. When, when, when you wake up in the morning and you're born again, like you, if you're born again and you wake up in the morning, there's a new plan, a new purpose for you that day. You, are, you woke up with an advantage. I wake up with the advantage over the world, over my enemies. I wake up with the advantage. I just need to walk with assurance, be unshakable, walk with assurance, deeply at peace. I'm God's man, or, I'm, or you're God's woman. I can't say that. I'm God's man, and I'm on this planet with a purpose to be used by him. And because Jesus left and the Holy Spirit came, I now have the Holy Spirit with me all the time. I'm not alone. How many times does the enemy try to convince you that you're lonely? not alone many times has he told you that you're abandoned but you're not man may abandon you but God never will you came to church this morning and we prayed in that little office over there before church started that every single one of you would experience the presence of Jesus today why why would we pray something like that you to go from knowing about God to knowing God. My daddy was radically saved in a church environment just like this. He had an experience with God in a worship service that forever changed his life. Bow your heads and close your eyes, please. <laughs> I figure I'd be nice at the end. First off, if you're here and you've not given your life to Jesus and you know for real, like I'm not in a relationship with Jesus and you want to be and you realize you need to be, would you raise your hand real quick? Whoever you are, this is not anything to be ashamed about. Like it's okay to not know as long as you take advantage of the opportunity to know. time. If you're here today, you say, honestly, Pastor, I, I've not even asked God for anything outside of my own needs. Like the disciples, I've been self-centered, and it's been about my stuff, my business, not his business. But I want to walk in boldness and courage and full joy. If that's you, would you raise your hand real quick? I'll see you. Anybody else? Good. Father, we bless you today. Jesus, thank you for keeping your word. You said, I must leave. It's to your advantage. That I go so that the helper can come. You, you describe the helper perfectly. He's all that in a bag of chips, Jesus, and we praise you for sending the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we praise you for being in our lives, pointing us to Jesus, walking with us, providing for us, fulfilling joy in our lives, and bringing us to a fuller knowledge of the Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit. God, I'm sorry for taking things too lightly, for disregarding my position on the planet, my purpose on the planet, my purpose in my neighborhood, my purpose with my family, my purpose at my job and at the recreational things we do, my purpose at the marketplace. Forgive me for 
for taking that too lightly, Lord. And God, stir up something inside of all of us today that would cause us to walk on this earth with purpose, with passion, with intention, with the advantage. We have life. I pray we go and give it to those around us, anyone we would meet. Move in us, God. Move in us, God. Can you say that this morning? Can you say, move in me, God? Can you, can you surrender to him today? Can you ask him to forgive you for being self-centered and self-focused and forgive me, Lord. Forgive me for my attitude about the opportunities in front of me. I love you, Lord. I bless you and I thank you for today. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.